Cause we got the alternative energy Unnecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network I'd say that uh, the beauty of the country that we... uh, our forefathers has been living and um, they handed down generation after generation to uh, look after the country and uh, by doing this we are protecting the uh, the land and um, uh, trying to uh, keep the uh, uranium in the ground. Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show. I'm Michaela and today we'll be hearing about the Kalamili Walk. From the 5th to the 12th of June, folk from around the country and the world travelled to Western Australia and joined with the Madu people to support their campaign to protect country and culture from the Kintai uranium mine proposal. The walk covered 100 kilometres of incredibly beautiful and diverse landscapes from Bangor in the south of Kalamili National Park to the Kintai Uranium Mining Lease in an area that was excised from the park in the early 1980s. I'm really grateful to have been able to join the walk and today is the first of the series of shows in which you'll be hearing some of the recordings I made on the journey. Today we'll focus on the backstory of the mine, the company and some of the key concerns. Let's begin with Kanu, Nancy Taylor, speaking at Pimalu Rock Hole Camp. Yeah, 
everything dilo malgari mala koi koi everything poison ban mix up jola lo karon karwa kolta poison nalga i don't know them jiji jiji lo yale jiji la badulo jumalo ba wadar go jiji la nila yonga ma yana yana mariana mariana jampa ಯೋ and then Maru fought and won against uranium mining at Kintyre then. In 2008, we had a change of state government and they lifted the ban on uranium mining. And just before that, Rio Tinto owned Kintyre. They sold it to Cameco and Mitsubishi just before they lifted the ban on uranium mining. So since 2008, Cameco have been a feature there at Kintyre looking to explore. They took a long time and uh put out an environmental management plan in 2012 um that was assessed by the state government and the federal government. So the state government approved it. Um the EPA first approved it and then we appealed it. Maru appealed it and then the appeals convener approved the mine with conditions. and then the state environment minister approved it and then it went to the federal government and they took a little bit longer had a bit of a look and added an extra couple of conditions on the mine approval and but they they approved Kintyre so it has some some level of approval and that it's conditional in nature so it means that if tomorrow the price of uranium increased they couldn't start mining they still need to meet all of those conditions they still need to get a mining license they still need to get a mine closure plan they need to get export permits um they need to get approved by our panza so they're a long way a long way from actually starting to dig um but they do have some significant things that um in train so the the conditional approval is a big is quite a big hurdle to get over and it's the last real stage that the public can input so after that it's it's a lot more closed doors um and their doors that we're trying to break down because a lot of the stuff that that needs to get approved 
is really significant, like the mine closure plan. That's probably the single biggest part of a uranium mine project that has the biggest you know, risk factor, um, and that's a closed door, so we're trying to open that one. So they got approved. That was 2013, and it's now 2016, and they haven't made any progress. So that's three years where they've been really quiet. They've been focused at another mine, at Yaliri, in, uh, in the gold fields, which is another area where um, we, Marcus and Lucy and Bilbo are organising a walk through there in August. Um, so they've been very focused on trying to get those environmental approvals at Yaliri. Um, but also the uranium price has dropped a lot. So the uranium price at the moment is about 28 US a pound. Cameco have said to mine at Kintyre, they need 65, it needs to be 65 US dollars a pound just to break even. So it's a long way from there. Um, and for, for most of the time since we've had commercial nuclear power, it's been around 20, 30 dollars a pound. So it's, um, They've, you know, pegged a lot of hopes on, on a nuclear renaissance, which we're seeing isn't happening. Now let's hear a bit more about the broader context with Dave Sweeney, nuclear-free campaigner with the Australian Conservation Foundation. We've been mining uranium for very many years, and it's always been a contested mineral. It's, it's consistently the most contested sort of mining operation is across the board for commodity is uranium operations. There's other operations around a site-specific thing where people burr up and have a fight, but uranium has always been contested and now increasingly like in the same way as coal has been contested for not so much for where it is, but for what it is and what happens to it further down the track. We've got a third of the world's uranium. We used to supply 20% of the world's market. We now supply 10% of the world's market. The Australian uranium sector is very, very dominated by the big companies. It's 90% dominated by two of the biggest resource companies in the world, BHP Billiton and Rio Tinto. Um, A recent addition, like Mia said, into it has been Cameco. Cameco, in the last decade, have bought the two biggest deposits in Western Australia. They bought Kintyre here and Yaliri in the goldfields. And they, as Mia said, can I ask a question which I think matters? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No. Who sold it? It was owned by uh, Rio Tinto. The deposit was, was, was discovered in the uh, late 70s and pegged up in the early 80s by uh, uh, Rio Tinto, was then called CRA, Consinc Rio Tinto Australia. They had a 100% subsidiary called Canning Resources. Canning Resources did Kintyre. They did. It was Rio Tinto lobbying that did the, the politics of getting the area excised from the national park. And uh, they, they ran it and they had a real hope. They gave a real go in the late 80s, early 90s to develop um, uh, Kintyre. That was basically stopped because of political pressure through the Labor Party, the Federal Labor Party, who at that stage had a policy of no new mines. So if you'd been approved and you were through the gate, you could continue, but no new ones, and this was a new one. So we were able to hold it, a collective group of people were able to hold it at that policy level. But it always it comes back again and again. Cameco have bought it, they're very bullish, they want to uh, develop it, and then as Mia said, the price for the commodity is half of what the company says it needs to be for them to, 
develop it. So we're in this sort of a little bit of a paused zone where the company wants to get all its boxes ticked, every approval. They've only got conditional approval now. They want to get all those approvals ticked so that when and if the market improves, they could move quickly. And their other, their other view is even getting those boxes ticked mean that on paper, in standard capitalist economics, the deposit is worth more. So it increases their corporate value, even if they're not digging it. It's important to know that there's been 35, 40 years of the community saying no in different ways and in different times. Sometimes people go into London to say no at the AGM. Sometimes people go into the East Coast. Sometimes people doing native title work to get country back in that way. But all the time there's been this threat of saying no. So we're the latest bit in that bit of continuing Madhu opposition. We've been invited by the people who own the country. We're walking through the country to get a sense of it, the place, the people, the space, and then maybe to grow some, some sense of its beauty and the importance of taking some action that ensures that people who are in Saskatchewan, in Canada, people that are in Perth, or people that are in Canberra do not make decisions without knowing on the basis of a two-page briefing paper or an economic model about the future of country and countrymen here. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. This is the first of a series on the Kalamili Walk, a seven-day walk with Madhu traditional owners through Kalamili National Park in the Western Desert to oppose the Kintai uranium mine. Some of the key threats are that the water sources will be diminished and that radioactive contamination will occur. We'll hear now from Madhu elder Muki in conversation with Mia Pepper and Piers Verstegen. Like the mine is between two branches of a yeah, river, yeah. Yandaguji. Yeah. And that water is surface water, but it goes underground. Yeah. And then that underground water connects with the other water. Yeah. <coughs> Kalamili. Kalamili. And then that's the big water that yeah. people are worried about is yeah. that connection between. Yeah. If the water, like the mine is literally like. 500 metres from a creek bed and that's connected to this whole water network. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Lake. Lake. Lake Dora. Yeah. In Punmu. A big salt lake there. And in there's fresh water that comes up in the salt lake. Yeah. And people are worried about that. That water there. Yeah. Mm. Might be. Yeah. Water. So it's not just... A mine, right? It's also a processing plant. For, for stuff. Yeah, and yeah. so the what they want to do at the end of the life of the mine is put all the waste back into the mine pit, which is just 500 meters away from the creek. But also half, so they're going to backfill half of it. 
the other half they're going to leave as an artificial lake and they've said very clearly that for the 10 years, up to 10 years after the mine, that that will have above safe levels of uranium in that lake. And so if there is a flood in that area, it's not hard to imagine how water from that open pit might end up in Yandaguji and how that how that could connect. If anything goes wrong, it goes very wrong and it has very long, long impacts. And so they've made a lot of promises. They've said, we've got engineers, it's fine, it's fine, but the risk is very real. The um, processing of uranium <coughs> creates tailings, uranium ra- uh, radioactive mine waste that get stored in the short term in tailings dams where they try and evaporate the water and uh, get the volume of waste down. But tailings dams have a tendency to leak into the environment, into the groundwater. They have a tendency to overflow in flood events and leak and cause contamination of the surface water. And most uranium mines in Australia have a history of problems with their tailings management, their tailings dams leaking in some way into the groundwater. In some places they uh, have to sink bores and pump the groundwater out to try and prevent the spread of contamination into the groundwater. Um, So that's just during the life of the mine before, as Mia says, you get to the um, end of the life where then you've got all that radioactive waste and tailings and mine waste to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, there the was a gone. parliamentary motion passed in state parliament to say that the mine waste would be isolated from the rest of the environment for a minimum of 10,000 years. <laughs> and then when Mia went and asked the Department of Mines, how are you going to achieve this? And the mining companies, how are you going to actually do this? They looked pretty sheepish and said, yeah, there's no way that we can guarantee that. They said, they said it's a matter of interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to interpret what that meant. Water. Kill. Yeah. Drink it. Full of drink. And he'll come to make the village. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Muki was saying in Yaliri they did a they did a trial mine in the 80s and mm. after they did that all the kangaroos emus died they were sick and they worried worried that that would be the same here that yeah. the animals would die get sick so is that from the release of radon gas from or the might be the tailings, the animals drinking the tailings. Yeah. Because it's just there on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. These concerns about the poisoning of water and contamination of plant and animal life was echoed by some of the walkers who had travelled to Canada and met folk already affected by Cameco's operations in Saskatchewan. Here's what Belinda and Marcus had to share about the company's behaviour. A few of us went up to Saskatchewan in Canada... Um, last year as well and I met up with some um, folks up there living on a reservation who are where Cameco is already really embedded and has been for quite a while now and like we've got we've got the, the privilege of the fact they haven't managed to do that already in WA and and 
Uh, we're, we're talking about what has happened with some other companies in the past in WA and in and other parts of Australia, but that company's already proven themselves to be pretty unethical, not surprisingly, in Canada and in their really divisive tactics in communities and some pretty awful results and the way it has filtered down into the food systems, into the moose, into the mm. other things that folks eat up there. And, um, yeah, I guess that's just, just to put it in that global perspective and that this company has already proven themselves to not really have a particularly uh, human or environment-centred perspective. Yeah. And maybe just to add a bit to, like, Bindi was saying, we were up there, and like there is a, a big resistance up there from the First Nations people and I think it's important to, to remember as well that Cameco probably is the largest uranium mining company in the world. Um, that uranium in northern Saskatchewan is the highest grade uranium in the world and the company has set itself up as like a big tax avoidance scheme as well mm. and currently like what they've been doing is they set up an, another like sub company in Switzerland and so the, the uranium they were mining in Canada they were selling really cheap to their own company in Switzerland who was then on selling it at a much larger price but avoiding paying all the taxes so the Canadian government actually at the moment is looking at court cases and, and other things mm. to try to recoup. And, and I think off the top of my head, it's like nearly half a billion dollars. Like, and, and then the US started looking into the way Cameco was operating in the US as well. And they were doing similar things there. And I think the US is trying to recoup something like $200 million from Cameco as well. So potentially they could have a, a three quarters of a billion dollar tax bill that they need to pay as well wow. but definitely not a socially responsible ethical company let's go to a reflection on the walk with curtis taylor madu artist and walk organizer recorded at pool jaja a beautiful and sacred waterhole my name is curtis taylor and we're here at pool jaja right in the heart of Kalamli. And um, just wanted to say um, thanks for all the support that people have given towards the Kalamili Walk, towards the Madhu, and towards you know all the walkers that have walked uh, the whole way from Bangor community right in to Kintyre. And um, yeah, this area we want to protected and you know hopefully one day get the park back we in 2009 it was uh, renamed from Rudel River to its true name Kalamili National Park and um, yeah this area is very important to us not just the one-man people that where this country is on, but also the other Madhu people throughout the Western Desert. All the different language groups, all the different 
plans. And um, yeah, it's very um, important to keep this country like it is here, untouched, pristine. Bring people to show, you know, the beauty of this area. Don't want to contaminate it or destroy it in any way. Looking after the wildlife, looking after the the water, looking after the country itself. And with that country to look after the people. And um, yeah, we're just not far from Kintyre, maybe 20Ks. And um, yeah, it's I think been really um, extraordinary for to have you know other people, non-Madu people, to come and learn about our country. And um, yeah, with all the old people, the old Madhu people here, been really grateful. Grateful, you know, um, for them to share their knowledge of this country, you know, this area that they know, uh, with non-Madhu people. That's all we've got time for today, but please join us again next week for more recordings from the Kalamili Walk. Voices of the walkers, sounds of the land, songs from Winniada, and more from the Madu elders who've been standing strong to protect the country for so long. The Radioactive Show was produced in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy, Victoria, on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri, for which sovereignty has never been ceded. A massive thank you to all involved in organising the walk, Kanu, Moki, Waka and Nola for the invitation, Curtis, Mia, Lucy, Bilbo and Marcus for being amazing organisers and to everyone involved who shared in this incredible experience. I can safely say that everyone who walked Kalamili is strong in our resolve to work together to make sure the mine at Kintyre never happens. If you want to find out more and see some of the beautiful images from the walk, you can find Kalamili Walk on Facebook or go to walkingforcountry.com where you can follow links to Kalamili Walk and also find out about the Walkajira Walkabout, which is an annual month-long walk against uranium. And the next one's coming up shortly, August the 7th to September the 7th. An amazing opportunity to get together with other folks, connect to the land and walk together in a shared commitment to a sustainable future that is nuclear free. We're going to go out with Winniada singing to the cooks at the camp kitchen and we'll have some really special recordings from him on next week's show.
gonna start a war no more. Ain't gonna start a war no more. Ain't gonna start a war no more. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others... The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 941983 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now.